Content in this episode may contain information and discussions of grief and trauma, childbirth, sexual assault, racial discrimination, pregnancy, violence, or mental health, and more, which some listeners could find triggering. This podcast is not intended for young listeners, so please listen responsibly. If you find yourself being triggered or affected by the content of this podcast, please reach out to a mental health professional in your area or call a national hotline for support. Welcome to the Twisted Sisterhood Podcast, hosted by Ashley Mitchell and Kelsey Vanderbilt Ranyard, a podcast by birth moms for birth moms to give a platform to a silenced voice in the triad. You can find us on Instagram at Twisted Sisterhood Podcast, on Facebook at Twisted Sisterhood, and Twitter at Birth Mom Podcast. Give us a follow and use our hashtag, There Goes the Sisterhood. And if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Ashley, and I'm joined, of course, with the one and only Kelsey in California. It's so sunny here. <laughs> we are so talk radio. Um, we really are so actually very excited and very humbled to be able to do this podcast. Um, it's unlike anything that's ever been done before. A birth mom voice podcast. This is something we've been planning and dreaming about for a while now. So it's awesome that it's a reality. Yeah, this is really exciting. You know, we, we've been listening to women that have gone before us for so long. I mean, we're talking decades, you know, back before Roe versus Wade and all of these voices. And we've learned from them in ways that this has been so detrimental to the things that they've experienced and then walking our own personal journeys as birth mothers and hopefully laying a foundation for women that will come after us because we know that this isn't going anywhere. Adoption's not going anywhere and women that have placed are going to need a space to come to the table. And so we're really excited about having this platform for you guys to share. Um, You can listen to us talk shit all the time. So it's fine. <laughs> um, but we did want to go ahead and give an introduction. Um, so I'm going to pass the mic over to Kelsey for her to just tell you a little bit about herself and her journey, and then we'll rock and roll from there. I placed in May, 2016. Um, I have an open adoption with my son and his family. I live like 2000 miles away from them. We have about two visits a year. I got pregnant right after college graduation, pretty much. And I moved home, lived in my parents' basement, uh, the place of dreams. And I went through this pregnancy. Um, I struggled to find work. I struggled to have support. I struggled to have people that cared to listen um, and not want to make decisions for me. So I came out of placement um as all of us kind of have in this fog and you're not sure which way is up. And I craved any kind of support and then ended up leaning on the wrong kind of support, of course, as, as we do. (laughs) And um, like we do, yeah, as one does. (laughs) And so uh, eventually I found a support group in my area, got connected with an agency I didn't um, place with, but was willing to support me. I worked for them. I've kind of got my start in the adoption field as a career. 
Um, it didn't take me long to figure out that my passion was in ethics and post-placement support and giving more rights to women like us. And so that's where I'm at now. So I now live in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm in law school. I want to become an attorney um, in adoption and do some legislation and lobbying work as well. So if you want to follow along with my story, uh, you can find me at From Another Mother. And it is just like it sounds. Some people say from another mother, but that's not correct. It's from another mother. All A's, no R's at the end of that. <laughs> All A's, no R's. Yeah, mm-hmm. From another mother. Love that I get to do this with Kelsey. Um, we've been friends for a while now and uh, a decade apart in our placement, which is really cool. And so we're coming from very different perspectives, um, but both passionate about serving with the women. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ashley. I mean, you shouldn't know me. There's no reason why you should know me. It's fine. <laughs> but uh, my name is Ashley Mitchell. I am a birth mother. My son, Derek, will be 14 in 2020. So we're into these teenage years where he has a cell phone and can text me when he wants. And we're in navigating this whole different open adoption season where he has thoughts and feelings and opinions. And all of a sudden it's not about me and his mom. It's about him and how we show up for him. Um, it's been incredible. Uh, we did not start with an open adoption like this. We spent, uh, five years in the trenches while I was, um, pursuing my dream to be the poster child of Jerry Springer. Like Jerry, yeah, there you go. There you go. There's my girl. Um, so we, there was so much self-destructive behavior, but it was definitely, um, coming from a place of shame and embarrassment and guilt uh, definitely the religious culture that I grew up in uh, here in Utah, in the beehive state, definitely played a role in some of that. And we will have many, many discussions uh, moving forward about those kinds of things. But for now, um, navigated from close to an amazing open adoption relationship. Um, I have two children that are very much a part of our open adoption. Um, so we've got this cool sibling dynamic from the biological parents side, implementing this into our triad. And it's been really cool. Um, and I, um, a small team of women and myself wrote the nation's first curriculum on post-placement care. What we found was that social media was, and we're going to get into that a little bit today, but was the best and worst thing that happened to adoption. And, uh, just because you can start a Facebook group doesn't mean you should. And so we spent years running, um, online groups. And I spent years on the bathroom floor at 2 a.m. Um, on suicide watch with women posting all of their trauma all over the internet. And we were not qualified to handle it. And we had no business managing that kind of grief on top of reliving our own through it. And so we went to the professionals and said, where are you? If you are going to stand with us in destruction, where are you in the rebuild? And and we need you to offer the post-placement care that you all claim that you offer. And so we wrote the nation's first curriculum and training. And so we travel and uh, train professionals um, on how to offer 
free support groups every month for women all over the country. Um, and we are just that arrogant to say we want a group uh, coast to coast every 30 miles. So um, that's what we're doing. Um, it's really amazing work. It's tough, um, but we are here for the women. So if you want to follow along, you can, of course, find me um, on all social media platforms at Big Tough Girl. Um, and that's where you can find me. Um, well, that's enough about us. You can hear us ramble all the time, anytime you want on our Instagram. We would actually really love if you would come follow along. Um, but if you haven't had to listen to us on the daily basis, congratulations. You're one of the lucky ones. Um, Kelsey and I have been really trying to be intentional about the conversation that we were going to have when we didn't have guests. Conversation that would really speak to the hearts of our sisterhood and those that were listening in. And so we came up with some questions today. And so I'm going to kick this back to Kelsey. We would really love to know um, kind of what has been your biggest challenge in navigating your own adoption triad. We know that there are so many different versions of quote unquote open adoption and how to do this and what, where you fall on that scale. And so we would love to hear just what that's looked like for you, how it's changed from the hospital um, and things, advice that you could give to, to the fellow birth mothers out there listening. Uh, I think one thing that, that definitely is important to know is that, you know, your adoption is never going to stay the same as that plan that you maybe discussed together before the hospital or at the hospital or right after the hospital. So I think one of the biggest shocks for me was uh, how it changed over time. So, you know, the first five weeks I had a visit. And then, you know, then it's no visit for a couple months. And then, you know, the pictures were every day and then they start dwindling down to once a week and then once a month. And then, and then you just don't know, there's no schedule. Um, and there's really no, there's no guidebook on how to do this, right? Because it's so individual. So just for those that are listening, because Kelsey had said that she lived in California and lived thousands of miles away. That wasn't always the case for you guys. No, I lived 10 minutes away. For a while, I lived two and a half hours away for a while, and now I live like 2,000 miles away. So um, the biggest, oh gosh, one of the biggest challenges, definitely communication. So I want to be like, hey, you know, can I have a picture or something? And I won't because I'm too scared. Sometimes I have, but I'm, I don't know. It just feels weird. Um, one of the biggest hurdles definitely has been for me like determining what is this relationship because it's so unlike any relationship that we've ever had in our lives and that ever will have and the type of person that's I'm type a for sure <laughs> did you know that <laughs> no not Kelsey <laughs> I mean I'm type a so I I want everything the way I want it and so <laughs> compartmentalizing imagine this. what it's like to be a, a to partner on this with me who is oh yeah typing oh yeah <laughs> yeah prayers appreciate it no i'm just kidding um but i want to compartmentalize everything in my life so it's like okay i'll put my adoption here and i'll put my work here and i'll put my marriage here but that doesn't work because adoption has bled literally bled into every part of my life. 
So that's been hard for me too, to try to figure out where do I fit as a birth mom and where do I fit as Kelsey? Like, where can I be just me? And I think that everybody kind of experiences that in some way or another, but for us, definitely just because we don't have a choice because adoption does bleed through that it's just an extra challenge because I can't always be just me, you know, right? you have a role to play. So that comes into an identity thing too, that has been a challenge of wearing that, which hat are you wearing today? For sure. You know, I love what you said. You were like, you know, you're about compartmentalizing and I'm like, oh no, my, my, you know, (laughs) right. This this is, this is a great visual for the difference between Kelsey and I. Mm -hmm. Kelsey's the person that eats on a plate that has (laughs) dividers, like little kid plates that have dividers. So none of her food is like bleeding into each other. Well, not really, but (laughs) but metaphorically, I'm a garbage disposal in my eating habits, but, but emotionally, emotionally. I'm a divider. She's, she's the plate with the dividers. Mm-hmm. And I'm the one where all the juices are like running together right. <laughs> because it's never been separate for me. I actually have been horrible at separating my identity of being Ashley and being this woman and being this mm-hmm. wife and mother and not, there's not an off switch. And so I haven't been able to learn how to compartmentalize those kinds of things. And so it's just this big mess all the time. Um, I definitely think one of the biggest challenges um, for me has been showing up even when I don't want to. Um, you know, we're, we're in a very different season. Uh, my son and I and his family, we all live in the same state. So we, uh, our distance isn't an issue, which that's a big block for a lot of people. But we're coming into this season where... Um, you know, my son wants sleepovers and he wants more time for me. He is like craving more time for me. And if I walk my talk, it's like, we've got to show up for the child, for the adoptee, because that's the most, this right. is what this is about. Right. Right. But at what point do I have to say, I'm so, I can't show up for a week long sleepover this mm-hmm. summer because that's detrimental to my mental health. When do I get to say, I know we need to show up for him, but I can only do a day. And I know that there's, you know, birth mothers out there that are going, oh my God, I would kill for a week sleepover with my child. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the throes of saying, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can handle a week. I can give you this. Like, I never know what Ashley's going to show up to a visit. I could go and have a visit and we can have a great time and it's mm-hmm, fine. And he mm-hmm. leaves and it's just like, cool, you're a cool kid. See you later. Like, I'll see you in a couple months. Right. But sometimes he leaves and I'm back in the hospital mm-hmm. walking away from him like it was yesterday. Right. And those things affect the family that I have at home that need me to still be present and show up for them. And so I have to learn to, and I'm still learning. I mean, I've been in trauma therapy for almost a year now, trying to figure out how to process all these things, because it's not just as easy as saying, yay, I get a visit and I'm so lucky that I have this amazing open adoption. Yes, I am lucky. And my son is amazing but there's a whole other issue. In fact, I've had birth mothers from close adoption say, I don't know that open adoption is necessarily easier on the birth mother than what a close adoption has looked like. I don't know. For me, I can't speak for everyone. I do think for me, I don't think I could have done it had I not 
known. And even though we say, oh, well, that's not the reason you place and whatever, but like when I try to compartmentalize it, it doesn't work. Once again, like when I try to say, you know, well, I did it for him and I did it, but like, I don't think I could have done it had I not known I was going to see him again. You know, and it's so interesting because, you know, like we've talked about, you know, being a decade apart in our placement, you know, it looked completely different. You know, I, I didn't know, first of all, I didn't even know what a dope open adoption was like, that right. wasn't a thing that it was just coming onto the scene. It was just starting to be like a topic of conversation for me. And I really believed, in fact, it's almost kind of embarrassing when I say this now, but this was almost 14 years ago, you know, 2006. We think that 2006 wasn't that long ago, but it's over a decade ago. It's a long time ago. And my concept, my mindset, in fact, I wrote them a letter when Derek was six months that I just said, Hey, he's your son. And I really had the mindset that if he doesn't ask about me or want to know me, then they did their job in loving him well and they did it right. And he didn't have that, that, that I thought that they could love him enough that that hole would be filled and I made the right decision. And now it's like, of course he wants to know me. Of course he has these questions. And how ignorant was I to think if they love him enough, I made the right decision, but I didn't know anything about that. And so when I placed, it was, I, I'm trusting you that you will love him enough that he doesn't ever need to know me. Yeah. And what a crazy uneducated space. I also think that that, that mindset that view is really uh, fostered by the way we've been treated by professionals and the lack of representation we're given and the pregnancy and the shame. I mean, all of that, those things foster those kind of ideas to be like, well, they don't, if they don't know me, they're better for it, you know? Yeah, I definitely think there's these seeds planted that say, you know, you made this brave and amazing and selfless choice and this family can take this child and love this child and you can, you know, wash your hands of it. But we know now that's, that's not the reality of what giving right. birth and becoming a mother looks like. And so, um, you know, some of those challenges, of course, bleed into navigating our adoption, you know, the trauma and stuff that I experienced through, I mean, childbirth alone is traumatizing. I've had mm -hmm. three babies, nat all natural or not okay. vaginally, <laughs> not naturally. There was plenty of drugs through the vagine yeah. for our <laughs> listeners. That, that means that it goes through the vagine. Is it though? Yeah, it is. I don't know the parts, but I think that's how it works. <laughs> I did it, but I don't remember. We, we wanted to block out as much of that as possible. Yeah. So not, so I definitely had all the drugs with all my babies, but Same. giving birth three times, you know, I, I, I'm all of that stays with me. And so having all of those bleed into the challenges of why sometimes it's hard for me to show up, why it's hard when Derek has to leave after a week, you know, we're connecting so many dots now that I'm like, oh my gosh, no one told me that 14 years later, I was going to be in the throes of trauma therapy, trying to process all of this stuff that honestly should have been dealt with 14 years ago, but mm -hmm. it just, you know, I don't, 
think people knew, but I also, you know, I don't think we were as educated as we were then on, you know, trauma and PTSD and these kinds of situations. But I also think that people really believed that we could make those kinds of choices and that everything would be just fine. Yeah. So what other challenges have you seen? Like just navigating your own triad. You know, what's interesting to me is that we talk a lot on Instagram, like, well, we talk a lot, period, the end, but <laughs> we talk a lot about educating adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. The other side, um, they're the ones that are, I mean, literally, they're the ones that are writing the check. They're the ones that are orchestrating a lot of this. So we, were, we want them to be educated, of course. We don't get educated, though. Like the birth moms, we have no idea. So we hear from these adoptive parents all the time that are saying, oh, what should I do in this situation? What should I do in this situation? And I'm like, oh my God, what should she do? What, uh, I had no way to know. So there were things I asked for in the very beginning when I had balls in this adoption where I don't have them now. But when I had balls, I would ask, Hey, we should do this together. Or, Hey, you guys should, you know, whatever. I don't know. But and then when they would say no to me and it wasn't bad, you know, but that rejection was so hard to deal with, but it was a boundary being put up, but I didn't know those existed and I didn't know in what capacity and how far it could go. So a lot of the times we're just sitting here figuring out how far does this thing go, you know, and we have no way of knowing. So that's been hard too, is I'm left to do a lot of that work on my own because no one educated me on how to do this. And I'm sure a lot of birth moms experience the same things where all these adaptive parents are getting this education, but no one really told us how this open adoption is really going to work. And I've had boundaries put up in my own adoptions and, and all of these things are important for us to move forward. But you're right. We, these families are getting this education and they get to go through home studies and, you know, they get to do all of these things and they have the agencies that are supposedly, you know, allegedly standing Mm -hmm. with them and walking with them in education. And the information that we're getting is what it's very basic you're going to give this child life, you're going to give birth, and you're going to pick a family. Well, and you really are the center of attention. That's another, I mean, that could be a whole other topic of conversation, but it goes with this too. You are the center of attention and then suddenly you're not. Yeah. So that becomes a huge challenge in navigating your own triad and understanding that once pen goes to paper, Mm -hmm. And that relinquishment is final, whatever state you live in. And no matter how much time you had, when that relinquishment period is done, when that termination of parental rights is done, it no longer is about you in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And so now, now it's like, when do I get to make a guest appearance? You know, we're sitting here like, put me in coach, like I'm ready to play, you know? And it's like, when do we, we're just waiting for the invitation mm-hmm. because we've been told you have no rights, you have no rights, you have no rights. We don't even know if we have the right to ask. We don't even know if we have the right to invite ourselves. We don't exactly. even know if we can have the right to ask about our, our children. Uh, if we have the right to even feel the emotions that we're feeling, 
because, mm-hmm. you know, as we know about this ambiguous loss that we chose this. And so do we get to grieve about it? I mean, it's a whole mess of things. So navigating this whole identity now that says you were so special and amazing and important and you have this gift. And then all of a sudden we're just over there begging for scraps. Like we're not begging for scraps always. It's not like from the adoptive parents. Right. It's generalized. It's like in general. For support, for yeah. listening ear, for anything. And yeah. it's that's a hard like road to cross because it can it comes at different points. It usually is in that first year though. And it's yeah. it's tough because we're like, well, what happened? It's yeah, just we, you kind of get like bamboozled all at once. Yeah, we fall off a pretty tall pedestal. Yeah, yeah. And it's, oh, yeah. it's a long way down. And, and, it ha- and it's not a bad thing because obviously at some point this has to happen, but it's a shock to the system and we had no warning. People can tell you all day that this is how you're going to feel, but mm-hmm. until you're in the throes of it, you're like, and mm-hmm. I'm sitting there going, why didn't anyone tell me? And it was like, I can tell you all day, but all day. You, there's no you're way. not going to get it until you have experienced it to your core. We should anticipate like this grief and this loss and the professionals should definitely make you aware of, of a lot of the things that you're going to experience, but there's no way for you to feel it ahead of time. I sat in a, (laughs) I sat in a, like a conference one time, the speaker was telling me that we were all uh, birth moms should be able to do anticipatory grief. I was like, that ain't a thing, (laughs) girl. That's not a thing. And she was a birth mom and she was saying, oh, we are responsible for anticipating our grief. I was like, honey, I didn't know about it. How was I supposed to do it before? <laughs> and I don't, I don't know how that's supposed to, that didn't make no sense. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what <babe>. is that? <laughs> so it's interesting too, because I will work with professionals all over the country and I'll look through their intake forms and we'll have like mock interviews. Like I'll come in pretending that I'm a pregnant woman so that I understand what their process is. And they're telling these women these things, but that doesn't mean that they're in a space to receive it or understand it or comprehend it. I think the biggest issue, and I, I'm sure that there's many birth moms listening that can definitely say, like, I don't know what my role is. Oh, yeah, I no, don't. No idea. I have no idea what I'm actually supposed to do. I talk all the time on the roles, rights, and responsibilities. You know, these three R's in, in this adoption triad, but it's like, the women are like, well, I gave birth. Is that my only job? Mm-hmm. What What am I supposed to do? Well, and there's such a... There's just like you said, like your son's now just starting to have these feelings and emotions and opinions. I'm in limbo. My kid's not even four years old. Yeah. And I'm going to be in limbo for a while because I don't know what role, if any role, I'm supposed to play. So I'm just, I'm on hold. I'm here. Let me know. What elevator music is playing on hold for you right now? Because we're both on social media, um, obviously. <laughs> yeah. How has it served you? How has it failed you? Well, I mean, we wouldn't be here together doing this sure. if, if it wasn't for social media. I mean, so if if that's the win I can throw up, then then we'll do that. But, you know, it's so interesting because social media wasn't a thing 
um, when I placed my son for adoption. I think we were still on MySpace, which, God, can we bring back MySpace? Let's just talk about how amazing MySpace and was. We all learned to code. Oh, I, we were all valuable, <laughs> invaluable. I mean, how we took advantage of MySpace. Who I, was that? Was it I, Tom? Was that yes. his name? Hey, yes. Tom, shout Tom. out. Hey, buddy. We love you. I still put on my resume that I'm an amateur programmer because of MySpace. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but it And was- hearts. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so as far as like my triad relationship, having the 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 pitfalls of social media has not been a thing. And it's one of the biggest questions because I, you know, have a big platform now and you can't, I mean, social media makes the world go round. You can't mm-hmm. run your business and do the kinds of things that we do in the society that we live in without, without social media. It's just not possible. And so you learn to play the game and you show up and I have this platform and people all the time ask, you know, well, how do they feel about you sharing, you know, so openly? And I'm like, Uh, I don't ask permission, you know, people all the time, you know, birth moms all the time are like, well, I posted a picture on Facebook and shared about my daughter and, and adoptive parents are mad and they took it down or asked me to remove it. And I didn't have to deal, I didn't have to deal with that. And now we're so far out of it that I'm like, well, I didn't ask. I'm sharing about my experiences when I was pregnant. I'm sharing my experiences about the abortion clinic. I'm sharing my experiences about the emotions that I feel after a visit. I'm not speaking for Derek. I'm not speaking for his family and I'm not ever going to not share my personal journey, but I understand the complexities of social media and things are taken out of context and all of these issues. And so I, you know, when we were navigating through all of this, it wasn't a thing. And now I think maybe just because we're so far into it and I've built a business around my experiences, it's a little bit different um, than me just posting. I mean, it's all very intentional to drive, you know, the community and support for the moms. And so maybe it's a little bit different from my perspective of why I share and, and how I share it. It's not just me taking pictures, you know, off of Facebook or whatever and reposting them. But I know that, um, you know, when I first went to Derek's home, he was eight years old. It was the first time I ever went to his home ever. I was walking around and looking at, you know, family pictures. And I came to a bookcase in their front room and there was a picture of my family, my husband and our kids, um, in a picture frame. And I was like, um, that's my current profile picture. And I'm pretty sure I didn't send that to you. Like they totally jacked my picture off of Facebook and printed it and put it in a frame. But that's so like, intentional and yeah and it was fine and and I didn't (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. it wasn't a big deal but I don't know I it's it served me in the purpose of really trying to get a message out there but I mean the negatives do the negatives outweigh what it's accomplished um yeah probably if I'm being honest I think that we as humans have been given a tool that we designed that we are not emotionally Mm -hmm. capable of actually handling what comes with what comes with that kind of responsibility. Oh yeah, I agree. Um, I think for me, I I don't share pictures anymore on social media. 
we're a little more restrictive in our um, triad relationship on that. Um, I think it's just a privacy thing. How it served me obviously gave me a platform and people that, you know, are now some of my closest friends. Obviously, it's given me a lot of really valuable relationships. It's given me um, just, yeah, this platform, this other perspectives. I would not have been able to listen to adoptees and other birth moms with different or similar experiences or adoptive parents or professionals. It's helped me connect. Um, it's helped. And it has helped my career. It's helped me, um, you know, connect, network with people that I need to be talking to if I want to make changes that I have goals to change. So, um, failed. It's a tough world out there. I think sometimes, you know, <laughs> it is, it's like, um, people can sit behind their keyboard and say whatever they want to you. And I'm like, well, I, I do have thick skin anyways. Cause I'm like, I compartmentalize. So if someone hurts my feelings, I'm like, well, <laughs> then I'm closing this door. I, I really get annoyed when people, uh, say, I agree with all of these things except for this. And I'm like, <laughs> hey. You can, you can do those things. Uh, you don't have to tell me about it. Or if you want to discuss it, that's different. But usually they just want to tell you. Yeah, it's interesting. I get a lot of comments when people tag me and share in their stories and stuff. And I, and I always, you guys, if you follow me on Instagram at all, I will reshare. If you tag me, I reshare every post that I'm tagged in. And it I is will not. <laughs> and, and again, I love this conversation because, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that women are going to come to the table with very different perspectives. Mm -hmm. I share everybody, not because I want to pat myself on the back, but because mm -hmm. you took the time to share me, I'm going to share you back. And if you get more followers out of it and more people listening to your platform, awesome. And I appreciate the people that reach out to me. But when people are just posting, it, it's funny when people always say, I don't agree with everything that they say. But there's someone you should really listen to. I'm like, <laughs> uh, I don't agree with everything that you say, Ashley, but if it's okay with you, I'd like to start a podcast with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of offended that you don't agree with everything. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? I just once I want to comment on one of those things and be like, what do you mean you don't agree with everything yeah. I say? Just what, start what, a fight in what, the comments. What specifically? <laughs> and and Kelsey has a lot, look, you don't get into this by choice mm -mm. without being thick skinned. Kelsey and I have thick skin in, in very different ways. So we aren't that different in the things that we believe in, but we definitely handle things that come at us a lot differently. <laughs> and where one can show compassion in some areas, the other is just, no, it really is that black and white. And so we're very different in mm -hmm. some of those ways. But being honest, do you think that social media as a birth mother and thinking about the women that are listening, do you think that it has kept you from sharing things that if you felt free to do, you would share differently and why? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a lot of drafts draft posts yeah. that I've had that I've been like, you know what, this, this probably ain't a good idea. And then there's a <laughs> lot of posts that I posted anyways. And then after I did it, I was like, oh, that was not a good idea. <laughs> Hashtag poor life decision. <laughs> <laughs> 
and also there's a lot of things that I wish I could say that I'm perfectly entitled to say, perfectly should be able to say, but you know, it's an evil world out there. <laughs> People are mean. Like I don't, it's like, you know, it's just a Tuesday sometimes and I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Tip of the day. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. Okay. Like we all got a spot here. Yes. And we can disagree and still be human to Some each Some people other. will disagree with the most intimate parts of somebody's story, which I'm like, I just don't understand that. How do you disagree? You weren't there. Yeah. I, I think that Kelsey and I will definitely talk about this more about whether we're the most silenced group in the triad or not. And I yeah. think there's just so many of us still hiding in the quote unquote adoption closet. And I want to yes. get into that more, but I, we could go on and on. Social media will definitely continue in this conversation, but we always want to end every podcast with one question. And that's going to come back to either Kelsey and I, or definitely come back to all of our guests. Um, but Kelsey, what do you think has been the biggest roadblock for you in your healing and your post-placement care um, since stepping into this new identity of a birth mother? Um, I think broadly, it would be uh, being real with myself, uh, having real conversations, raw moments of acceptance, raw moments with myself where I say, uh, this has been pressing on you for a while and you need to admit this to yourself. This, uh, I think one of the most pivotal moments for me was definitely at the first support group that I went to that you hosted in Pasadena. Um, Ashley does this boundaries exercise activity <laughs> with everyone and it, shattered me into a million pieces. I didn't even know why I was there for one. I didn't I'm, even know. <laughs> I'm actually surprised we're still friends after that. Cause Kelsey walked in, like I host support groups in Indiana. Like, yeah, I I'm way above like needing support groups. I host support groups. Right. And, and I hosted them not because I was qualified, but because no one else would do it. Yeah. So then, you know, I didn't actually get support from it. Really. I was just the mediator. The and yeah. Yeah, it was part of my job at the agency too. So, um, but I came into Ashley's support group. She did this activity. It was like, I mean, this is why I recommend going to her support groups if you're a birth mom, if they're in your area. Like it's, uh, it just changed so much for me and it changed my entire perspective and allowed me to come into something, into a space and be completely honest with myself, with others, and just let things out. So um, it was a realization that was really painful for me to realize that I'm letting people come into my space that don't deserve to. And then I'm letting um, people destruct me and giving them too much power. And, um, and I need to close up shop for a bit <laughs> and figure out who deserves to come in. Um, so that was a really hard realization for me, but that opened the door for so many more down the line. And so that was a big roadblock for me. Another one, um, another realization I had later on, it goes <laughs> along with the whole concept of us, uh, realizing we're not the center of attention. Um, that for me kind of probably carried on too long. The victimhood complex 
that's so hard to break because it's, and it's so human. And I, I think we say the victimhood complex, like, you know, um, oh, they're so annoying. They're playing the victim and it is annoying. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but <laughs> it's so human at the same time. So to be like, when something bad happens to you, you are a victim, but when does that stop? When is a healthy uh, longevity of victimhood? What is that? Where does that end? Mm. So for me, I think I stuck to my story. When someone asked me my story, I tell them my story and it all centered around how I was the victim. And that has developed over time because more truth has come in. I didn't, I wouldn't say that I necessarily like lied about things outright, but I think yeah, we embellish things and we make them, you know, our story shouldn't be persuasive. Our story should just be. Yeah. And, absolutely. and it should be truthful and honest. And I think the victimhood thing for me, it was just, it was a hard thing to get over. And I still, I think I'm a little more self-aware now in my healing. So I think I try to prevent that, nip that in the bud when I feel that again. But um, and it's really about, you know, also making the adoptee the focus of the triad and putting my shit aside so that he can um, thrive and be the best individual that he can. And, and so, yeah, that victimhood was a big one for me. Oh my gosh, you brought up so many amazing things. And I, you guys, I know as you're listening, we're bringing up so much stuff. Uh, I promise you, we're not going anywhere. We're going to dive into all of these things um, in in other episodes, I hope. I, I, I think that that's um, the purpose of this is to bring things up and make people question and, and make them see different perspectives. And, and Kelsey brought up so many things that are obviously that I feel the same way, um, in roadblocks, uh, 100%. I, I have two things that are very clear for me. And one of them was my biggest roadblock was myself. I mean, I, I refused to acknowledge that anything was happening and whether that was by my own hand or by the people that were whispering in my ear, you know, whether it was my whole life and parents and culture and, you know, environment and all those things, or whether it was just me, um, I was fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Everything is fine. I made this choice. We're moving on. Wash my hands of it. It's fine. And I know not everyone has the, you know, everyone's rock bottom looks different, but you know, when you end up in a mental hospital in Nashville, Tennessee, after a suicide attempt, um, and they lock you up for five days and say, you're not going anywhere until we talk about this maybe you're not fine. <laughs> and it was, I was going to do anything but feel what I was feeling. And so all of those same self-destructive behaviors, and I know this sounds very stereotypical of what the birth moms are, but if you really understand the mastery and control um, in trauma that I, I couldn't control, you know, people, people cope with going to school and getting their degree and getting married and having other kids and, you know, doing all of these things, that's still a way of coping with trauma. Their mastering control just looks cleaner than mine. And mine looked like Jerry Springer. And so mm -hmm. it definitely, um, played out, unfortunately in a really painful, painful 
uh, way for me, but I, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I had a psychiatrist and I, and mental health is hot guys. Like I, mm-hmm. I have no shame in this and we, we will be talking about therapy and things like that much more mental health for women much more because I promise you, if you're not getting some form of professional help, uh, we're going to make sure you get connected because you cannot do this without that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a psychiatrist looking at me going, what's going on? And, and when we finally broke it down to dealing with the trauma and the loss of my son, I was in that fog saying, why didn't anyone tell me? Feeling like I was victimized by all these people. And it's so interesting. Kelsey was talking about our, our story, not, not that we've lied about our stories, but you know, and people will say, Oh, well, you stopped drinking the Kool-Aid. And so all of a sudden you're like, and I'm like, no, 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 no. It, it doesn't look like that. What it looks like is healing and forward movement and healthy like practices. Basic self-discovery. And, yeah. And exactly. Self-discovery and acceptance and being honest and all of these things. And so my story has played out. I mean, I'm not going to lie. If I looked back at the first blog that I wrote after I came out of the mental hospital, I'd probably want to slap that bitch in the face for writing the crap that I wrote. Oh, I do. Yeah. So, but (laughs) yeah, but that's just where I was. And now I'm not, that doesn't mean that my heart has changed about adoption. That doesn't mean anything. It just means that I have evolved in this relationship, just like our triad relationship has evolved. Well, when I was six, I believe that Santa Claus brought me all my presents for Christmas. But then when I was, but listen, when I was seven, I learned that he didn't. And it was my mom and dad. It wasn't because I stopped drinking the the North Pole Kool-Aid. It's because I learned new information. You were educated. I was getting educated. And then we moved forward because I acquired new information and I applied it to my daily life. And here we are. Um, For all of those that are listening, the bell still rings for me. So (laughs) if you want to believe in Santa, you come on over to my house. (laughs) You can drink of the Kool-Aid all day You can drink the North Pole hot chocolate with me anytime you want. Um, But definitely my own, obviously, obviously. And I, I think there will be a lot of women that agree that definitely one of the roadblocks for our own healing is ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's the same reason why we educate all the time for adoptive parents and anyone else. You can't make the women get there. All of this makes sense to you logically. You know the things that need to be done, but that doesn't mean that you can force her to grasp it, understand it, or implement it. Right. And so, um, and the second roadblock for me was that it just was non-existent. I wanted that when I got out of that hospital and I was on fire and had more clarity and I was sober and had this passion for really getting to know myself again and moving forward in this. And I was lit up. I looked around and there were crickets. Mm -hmm. There was nobody. And so I can want and be desperate for healing. But if it doesn't exist from the professionals that should be responsible for hosting it, what are we supposed to do? And so I think a huge roadblock was myself. But once I was forced to 
break through that roadblock, I needed professionals out because I had to leave the hospital. They were going to kick me out of the hospital at some point. Girl interrupted, couldn't stay all like for the rest of the Don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And, and so when I got out, now what? I think the question that moms ask themselves a lot is now what, mm-hmm. how do I, how, I want to move forward, but no one's actually helping me move forward. Right. And so that was a huge roadblock for me. And we, I mean, obviously that became a passion if, you know, and, and changing that, but, but those were the two biggest things. It was myself. But then once I busted through that roadblock, I looked around for support and for the professionals that could serve me and there was nobody. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, because I am the kind of woman that I am, I was very proactive in taking online classes and reading a lot and doing my own research, but not everyone's going to be able to do that. And so when they get lit up, they get this little spark, you know, they attend a group and they're fired up and they're ready. And, uh, and that fire goes out pretty quick when there's no one around to, to keep them going. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys, we're very excited about continuing this conversation. We're excited to have so many amazing birth mothers come on and share their stories. We're so excited about this podcast. Um, we won't take any more of your time today, but we hope that you'll stick around. You don't have to be a birth mom to listen, to lean in, to be educated. And even though it's going to be challenging for you in some of these conversations, don't go anywhere. Don't shut down. Don't, don't be that guy. We got, we have a lot to share here. Yeah. It's, it's, I promise you at the end of the day, it's going to make you better for it. Guys, thank you so much for hanging with us today. We had so much fun. We will catch you next time. Give us some feedback. What did you think? What do you want to hear? Who do you want to hear from? Uh, You can find us at twistedsisterhoodpodcast.com, on our social media, on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Let us know. So we'll see you next time on the Twisted Sisterhood Podcast.